Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. access heaven in that way when he's wanting to pour out miracles or reconciliation or the things that she goes after that's worship connecting earth to heaven in a supernatural way that worship isn't just a warm-up for me <laughs> that's not worship worship is not just okay let's ready the atmosphere so the preacher can preach no worship is ministry in itself and it's one of the only ministries that's directly to God so good. It's, it's the only ministry that's, that's just to him. It's giving our hearts. It's giving ourselves. So these people have practiced and they've readied, you know, and they've prepared. They've practiced their instruments. They've readied their hearts all week so that we can encounter Jesus to lead us into the inner courts, into the throne room, you know, and, and it's something that we just don't feel like after that we just do announcements. It would disrespect God. It would disrespect what already has been cultivating the atmosphere in their hearts all week. So we use that as a time to worship in itself. Then we get to give our offering to him. It's, this is worship. Worship isn't, the church is not just about preaching. The, the, the church is not just to come in here and make everybody feel good. It's to encounter his presence. It's to host his presence. It's to put him first and plant him in the center of this thing we call upper room. Listen, when they went to the upper room on the day of Pentecost, they literally went and waited for an outpouring of his spirit. And they waited with anticipation and ex ex expectancy, just giving themselves to him for this, that time period. They were waiting. And then all of a sudden, like a mighty rushing wind, he poured himself out. And, and that's what we want every week. We just plant him in the center. We say, God, do your thing. It's, it's not about us. It's about doing what the Lord wants to do in each of our hearts and each of the atmosphere. Some people may not be ready for it. Some people may feel like this is weird. I sometimes am that person. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, wow, we got another yeller or, or this or that, you know? But then the part of me, I just absolutely love it. I love, I love seeing Pam lay on the floor. I love hearing the yells. I love, I love it when I see a flag start going. I used to think that stuff was so crazy and weird. Listen, when we come into a place where we can be us, when we come into a place where we can be ourselves and worship God in spirit and truth the way we feel like it, the way we want, listen, we actually have the privilege to living in a country to worship God with freedom. And then you're in a home here that wants you to express that freedom. We don't want to stifle that. We don't want to stifle God. We don't want to quench his presence, his spirit. Like... <laughs> Sue Justice, just a sweetheart. I don't know if she's still here. They did first service, but she, she typed me an email once when they first started coming here. She's like, hey, pastor, I just want to ask permission if it's okay. Sometimes God moves in me so powerfully, I yell. Is that okay? If it becomes disruptive, I, I, I won't be at all offended if you tell me, no, I can't scream in worship. <laughs> Let the horses run. Listen, if I tell her no, what's that look like for my kids who want to be excited about Jesus? It's not about me being comfortable with, with that. It's, it's not what it's about. It's about are you giving your all to God and it might just look different than my all. Presence is number one. 
And if we start to move outside of that, we're going to focus ourselves on programs and miss out on his presence. We're going to start to focus on people and pleasing people, and we might miss out on his presence. I don't want to miss a moment in his presence. So yeah, it might look weird, but he does call us a peculiar people. I look weird all the time at work. I look weird all the time out on the streets. Micah looks really weird if you're ever on an airplane with him. Gosh, all of a sudden that steel tube comes to a stop. People are starting to get their bags out. And here comes Micah. Can I get everybody's attention? And I'm like, oh, like I'm so proud of him. At the same time, I'm like, oh, I don't know him. And he's like, let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about what he's done in my life. Let me tell you about a God that loves you. And he's yelling to back in front of the plane every single time I've been on a flight with him. Let me tell you that he's a God that saves and he wants to forgive you today. Does anybody in here want to accept Jesus as their savior? I want to pray for you. Yeah, that looks weird, but they're stuck and they can't go anywhere. And he knows it, but he's so wise with it. He's like, he's going to do it just before he gets off the plane. So that way they're not stuck with him for another two hours. <laughs> he's like, they're still stuck at this moment, but they're not going to have to see me for more than 10 minutes. It's amazing. That looks peculiar. That's stepping out of the boat and walking on the water, like whatever that is. I remember one time in Dayton, I stood up on a, on a bench and I stood up at the RTA, the, the biggest hub there. And I was like, I want to tell you about the story of Jesus in my life. I was an atheist. I was a drunk. I was an adulterer. I was a suicidal kid until Jesus came into my life and I had an end suddenly moment. And I'm shaking. I'm shaking. All these people are looking up at me and the entire RTA stops to hear my story. And I was like, and I'm serving a God now that loves you, that doesn't want to condemn you, but he came to the world to save you. Who wants this Jesus? Listen, I, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done. And it looks weird when you're, not in, 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 when you're not used to that. It looks weird when you're not used to this worship, but something is burning inside of people that has to come out because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that wants to exploit himself unto others, that wants to exploit himself to others. So when our worship gets so exciting and our worship gets so long, it's okay that it took an hour to get to a place where our hearts are ready to warfare and go after some things because why? He was pleased with our worship. We're not embarrassed. We're not ashamed of worshiping for an hour and 10 minutes and me shaving off half my message. I'm good with it. I can get a really great message online. I'm going to listen to my dad from last week this week. Like I can get a good message. I can listen to repeats. I can listen to the Bills and the Chris's and, and Reinhard Bunkies. Like I can, the, some of my favorites, I, I love listening to messages. But this moment, this moment of time where we come together, Jesus is planted in the center and we just give him our all. Can't get that in my house alone. You're my family that I love to warfare with. You're my family I love to contend for things with, contend for you on things. Like, you're, you're it. Like, I know sometimes the kids get a little out of control, but guess what? They're learning something by watching us. They're learning something by being in this atmosphere. Just like babies coming in off the streets, heroin addicts coming in off the streets, they are learning something coming into an atmosphere that's free. Why? Because so many people have been in so much bondage, all of a sudden they sense freedom. Like, yeah, I want that. I want what they've got. I sense freedom. Summer vibes. That was just a rant and a rabbit trail. It's free. We're still going to preach. It's fun.
fun. We were in uh, Chicago last week with some really dear friends and uh, JD and Carrie Lehman. It's uh, the, the, the church where Ian Carroll, he's been here several times and ministered. He was a pastor there for years and uh, just one year ago, passing on to JD and Carrie and they're doing a standout, awesome job. What a fun culture they have. And uh, so we went from big city life, millions of people, we're walking through the streets. We took about five Ubers over the weekend and, and we're doing that and I love that. And then we were home two days and I went to Matt and Amy's cabin in the middle of nowhere. For four days, we saw two cars come down the gravel road. That's not an exaggeration. I counted two, and that's just because I heard them. And uh, so, so this was like two extremes. We're, we're, we're in these high buildings, sky rises everywhere. Now um, we're fighting off wasps and shooing a mouse out of the cabin. Like, it was pretty fun. And, uh, but we, we called it Encounter Jesus Week for our girls, and it was just amazing. We'll, we'll share more later if God uh, wants us to, but right now some of it's private and there's no one better than you to pour into your family the way that you can. There's no one that will reach your kids the way that you can. There's no one that they look up to more to express Jesus to them than you. And I'll just be honest, it's coming from a heart of, I don't want revival to happen here and miss it in my home. I want it to be flowing out of me into our home, into our daughters, and then an overflow is what we see here, and then an overflow from here is the communities. Like, that's, that's our heart in that. Like, I want revival in my home, and I don't want to just send them to a camp. I don't want to just send them somewhere off and expect somebody else to pour into them and lead them into an encounter with Jesus. Like, we wanted to do that. It was super special. So, let me, uh, it, I don't even know if I cried first service. What a rare thing. You guys got me stirred up. All right, the Lord's good. Summer vibes. So uh, how many enjoyed my dad last week? <laughs> it wasn't posted by the time I went to no cell service land, and uh, so I didn't get a chance to watch or listen to it yet, but I heard it was fun. I heard we had a projection glitch, and uh, at 11 a.m. missed some of the photos of our family vacation. But uh, yesterday, I put, one, I put a new one in, so... We're good now. We've got the luxury of a television screen now. So, uh, but anyway, I heard it was fun. He talked about our family vacations, and then he went into passing on dreams. And uh, how, how many enjoyed that? It's good. My dad's so funny. And uh, one of the things I asked him to speak on is my dad growing up, he always had a minimum. That's right. He's a good dad. So he always had a minimum of like three or four. Um, isn't that an amazing sound, though? Like, seriously, I love the sound of babies in a church. I do. I'm not, I'm not being passive-aggressive here. Like, that's amazing. That's music to the Lord's ears. And I, don't get stressed out. If that's your child or if, like, that happens to you with a baby, like, that's a sign of a healthy, growing family in church. So there's a cry room if it makes you feel uncomfortable. But anyway, I just, I like that. But my dad always worked three or four jobs, and one of those reasons was that he would never sacrifice a family vacation and Christmas for us. And a big growing family, my dad was a social worker, so not a ton of money, and we always kind of just, just got by, and always had what we needed, but we always had a vacation. I was like, Dad, will you speak on that? Why was that so important to you? Why was it so important that you put that as a priority, even to, to work an additional job to make it happen? And... Um, 
So I can't wait to listen to it. Week one, I did an intro talking about summer vibes and, and the fun season of summer. And it's, how it's, it's nestled between spring and autumn, but it's also between two holidays. So it should be a holiday. So talking about our first day of existence was God's final day of creation where he just rested and was pleased with his finished work. So we get to come into this world, world with Jesus, resting and learning that, but also being in thankfulness with the Father in his finished work. It's a great thought. And then we talked about the joy and the fruitfulness of summer, how the crops are planted. Now we just receive the inheritance. We receive the fruitfulness of what's going to be the harvest in the fall. So we, we, we entered into this and, and talked a lot about that. And then uh, week two, if you remember, that was Nicole and I's story about sailing, our sailing for the first time. And we talked about in the New Testament, the wind, the breath, and, and the Holy Spirit are interchangeable most often with the same Greek word pneuma. All right, and then if you look back to the Old Testament when it says God breathed the breath of life into Adam through his nostrils, that breath, when he breathed the breath, that was also interchangeable with the spirit. So we talked about the sailboat is not serving its purpose in this summer vibes theme of, of just being out on the water and, and, and having fun. It's not serving its purpose if the wind is not filling its sails and propelling it forward. It's the same thing in our lives and you. You are a vessel. You're a holy temple for God. And when he breathes the breath of life, the breath of his spirit into you, all of a sudden you have life, you have power, you have the spirit realm that you're propelled to go conquer your purpose. Without that, and the same thing as a sailboat, you might look good on the outside, but you're empty because you're not filled with his spirit. A sailboat looks pretty on the water, but it's not doing any good if it's not sailing and fulfilling its purpose. It's the same thing with us. If we don't have the Holy Spirit breathing life into us, filling us, empowering us to do the miraculous, empowering us to do his work, to be his, his conduit, his vessels, then all of a sudden we might look good, just like the word says, we might look good polished on the outside, this tomb or this, this coffee cup that looks good on the outside, but we're rotten or empty on the inside. Like his spirit is the one that compels us. It's the one that convicts us. He's the one. He's not just for manifestations and, and, and giftings. He's the person who wants to dwell inside of us. He fills us up. And then last week, my dad, like I said, talked about the dreams and passing your dreams on to the next generation. So this week, I'm going to follow suit, and we're just going to talk about picnics. We got a fun one coming up with the young adults at 1 o'clock. All right, I'll get us there. It's all right. We're going to play kickball, and we're going to have snow cones by yours truly, Snow Cove. Mike and Meredith own Snow Cove in Springfield, and uh, they're going to cater us some snow cones today. We're going to have a good picnic, and uh, we just had one with our family. July 4th was so fun at, at uh, Leah's house, and uh, it's, it's this cool thing with a picnic. How many like picnics in here? Most of you. We got this picnic basket. We just celebrated uh, 15 years of marriage, which I'm, which I'm super proud of. You rock it, baby. She's pulling up the back row this week. I'm kind of confused. I don't know where to look. But uh, 15 years ago on our, on our wedding, somebody got us a picnic basket and had the nice little blanket in it and had these little spoons and forks and napkins and rings and all these cool things. And, and, and it's so awesome. It sits beautifully on our garage shelf and we've used it one time in 15 years. It's awesome. Like some of those wedding gifts you get. But... But I love picnics, and so at July 4th, our family has a big one, and, and we brought all of our food together, and we brought our meat. Robert's out there grilling. He's sweating. It was so hot that day, and they have a pool, and, and then we all brought a side dish and dessert, and it was this thing where we gather, we get close, we share stories, we laugh together. We're growing in connection. We're learning each other, and we're having fun. It's this adventure, and let me tell you about my favorite adventure that day. 
Lee and Robert, they have this, you know what a mechanical bull is, right? They have a pool version of this. So it's this giant inflatable ring, and attached to that is this big bowl. I mean, the thing's bigger than me. It's like this big around, this long, and like this wide. It's this giant bowl, but you can't climb on it, all right? So people stand around this ring, there's handles, and you shake that thing. And you're just trying to get the people off. But what you have to do is you have to jump from the side of the pool onto that thing, and then you land it, and then they're shaking you and trying to get you off. And you're like, now me, I was a lineman in football. Footwork, halfway decent. Everything else, terrible. <laughs> Speed, okay. Trying to stay up on a bowl, not so good. Throwing a football, catching a football, not so good. Blocking people, tackling people, really good. So I'm trying to jump on this bowl, and all of a sudden, like, one, two, tush, tush. We had so much fun. It's this adventure that we're doing, and God loves picnics. So, so I want to just share with you today, really briefly, a couple picnics that he had in the Bible that wowed people. Like, he is in the business of wowing you. He is in the business of reaching you the way you need it and somehow connecting heaven to earth in a realm that is not explainable. So let's go to, to, to Matthew here. I'm sorry, John 6. It can also be found in Matthew 14, but we're going to do John 6, feeding of the 5,000. This is a story that's in all four Gospels. Let me lay the groundwork here. John the Baptist has just been beheaded. So the disciples and Jesus are wanting to connect. They're trying to go to a faraway place with some privacy just to probably debrief, lean hearts, grieve together, and talk. And here's, here's kind of what happens. This is the stage for this. So we get to verse 1, chapter 6. It says, After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. How many know that God's still a healer? I used to be a cessationist until I saw healing. A cessationist believes that the healing stopped when the apostles left the earth. And, and, and as I look back, I'm like, what silly thinking? What stinking thinking is that? Because there's scriptures in the Bible, even in Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and what? Is to come. He is the God of, of yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's silly to think that just because the apostles leave, God quits working? Like, I used to believe this way. Just think about that. The apostles left, so God doesn't love anybody anymore. So here, here's another thing. We say, well, we'll pray that, that they'll be healed if it's God's will. Let me just remind you why he died on a cross. Let me remind you of the whippings that he took. It says, by his what? Stripes, we are what? Healed. Okay, let me also remind you that a prayer he said at least three times to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. Let my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there disease in heaven? Is there sickness in heaven? Is there poverty in heaven? No. Is there hunger in heaven? Is there depression in heaven? No. There's not these things. So, so his will is to save 
heal, and deliver. Salvation in the Greek context is from the word sozo. You might have a pamphlet in front of you talking about our sozo ministry because God cares more about you than just to get you a heaven ticket and have you in eternity with him forever. He also wants the heaven to get into you and you to walk an abundant life here on earth. Just a little framework here, all right? So, so God says, it says that Jesus came into the world to seek and save that which was lost. What's that? It's not just who. It's the joy. Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your fun? Have you lost your adventure? Have you lost your peace? Have you lost your rest? Like these are the things of God. These are the things that exist in heaven. So he came to seek and save that which was lost to restore and to set the captives free. We might be a captive to illness. We might be a captive to depression. We might be a, a captive to our past story of divorce or our past story of abuse or our past story of all these things that, that I had in my life. Too many to list. Like that might be your past story, but here's the deal. He came to seek and save that which was lost to restore all things. He's this God of reconciliation and he's making wrong things right. Righteousness is living in right standing with God. But it, it, loving and just means he's giving justice, not just love, but justice where there's an injustice. And I'm just here to believe, I feel that, I'll do a Danny Silk, I feel. I feel that justice of heaven looks like Anywhere where there's an injustice, meaning it's not existing in heaven, that's an injustice. So he came as a loving and just God to restore justice to the injustices. Almost sounded like I was speaking in tongues there for a minute. Listen, that's the God of, of, of yesterday, today, and forever. So here Jesus is. He's healing the sick. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I, I love God's rhetorical questions throughout the Bible, throughout the word, throughout the infallible word. Like, he's like, Adam and Eve, it wasn't a question of condemnation. It wasn't a question of, uh, of judgment. Where are you? Where were you? It was a question of connection. So here's Jesus saying, well, what are we going to do? He's asking the guys. When he comes up from the boat and commanding the wind and the waves to stop, why didn't you do this? Saying, this is a question of empowerment. This is a question of, of like, you guys are capable. Do you want to figure this out on your own or do you need some help? That's what this question is. Josh is loving it right now. In our parenting series, Loving Our Kids on Purpose, we give kids choices. And like, do you want to figure this out on your own or do you need some help figuring it out? Like, that's what Jesus is asking here. So here's what happens. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for this crowd that every one of them may have a little one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's this lad here with five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many of us? Now, now this is funny. Hey, uh, we don't have anything. We don't have enough money to do anything, but let's steal the kid's lunchbox and take the five loaves of bread and two fish. <laughs> Makes sense to me. There's only 5,000 of us. So then one of his disciples, uh, then it says, verse 10, then Jesus said, make the people sit down now there was much grass in the place. It was summertime. So the men sat down in number about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. They got a buffet out of this. And it says, so that when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the, the fragments that remain, the leftovers, so that nothing is lost. How many like leftovers? 
Sometimes that chili and lasagna just tastes better the second time around. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Listen, a miracle just took place. And God wasn't just meeting their supernatural needs and their illnesses. He was also meeting their natural needs of being hungry. He's like, listen, this is a party. We're having a picnic. I don't want to send anybody away hungry. He was moved with compassion from the multitudes. We're going to see that in Matthew in a minute. He was moved with compassion. He was compelled to do something about it. We need to be compelled to do something about the picnic all around us. Like in Christ, it is a holy picnic. All right, and there's always somebody that needs fed. And I find this interesting that in one of the gospels, this is just after him doing a sermon, being the bread of life. Now he's multiplying the bread to give life. He's healing the sick. He's having a party. Now he's like, now let's eat. And what happens is they feed 5,000 men, plus women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish from a kid's lunchbox just like all of us would do. Let's steal the kids' food and feed the 5,000. But then here's what happens. A miracle in itself is not the end, it's the means. Listen, we, we, we saw healings today. There were several healings at the 9 a.m. service of, of instant healing. The, 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 the point of a miracle is to reach people to reveal a kind, good God. Even when it's natural miracles, it's to lead to a supernatural encounter of the awe of God. Like a miracle in itself, we can't worship the miracles, we worship the miracle maker. And we have to like miracles when we love a God that does miracles. Miracles in themselves don't save us, but the God who does the miracles does. And if I like somebody, if I love somebody, I should like what they're doing. I shouldn't be afraid of them. Just because I'm not comfortable. Let, let me share a couple. I, I've seen several people raised from the dead. I've seen, I've seen radical stuff happen. I, let, let, let me just share one. Nicole and I were praying for this guy in the, in the Dominican Republic once. He had scoliosis and he was bent over so bad and, 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 and was crippled. All of a sudden, we just lay hands on his back and we're commanding scoliosis to go and we're binding the earthly thing and we're loosing heaven, we're loosing his presence. All of a sudden, it was like Rice Krispie treats, snap, crackle, and pop. Pop, 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 pop. The dude stands up. After all this cracking and popping, and then was totally, had all mobility, grew three inches. That's a miracle working God, all right? In Mexico once, now these miracles, I've got tons of stories here. It does, this is happening in my backyard. It's happening every day with Micah. You are the gift to the world that's Christ in you, the hope of glory, to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We'll get to that here in a minute. I was on a medic once, and it was a trash man that had fallen off the truck. He, and and I, at this point, I had been a paramedic for 10 years. I knew a broken arm when I saw it. When an arm is disfigured in an S and it's jello, probably a broken humerus. Then he also had a broken clavicle and a, and a dislocated shoulder. Now, here's the thing. I meet this guy, and he's like, we're in the back, and, and I'm doing things starting an IV. I, I had to get traction on it to get a pulse back in his hand, and we put a splint on it. And I was like, man, do you, what's going on? And he's, he's like really upset. I was like, are you in pain? He's like, no, I'm just upset. It was my first day back to work. I've been off a year because of epilepsy. It's my first day back and this happens. I fall off the truck and now look, I'm not gonna be able to work again. I was like, man, do you believe in God? He's like, yeah. I was like, do you believe that he could heal you right now? Yeah. Now, now, now let, me, let me preface this. 
Somebody's belief isn't required for God to heal them. It may or may not expedite the process, but your faith of a mustard seed alone requires nothing on their faith or their end to do anything to receive it. We're only stepping into what God's wanting to do. It's like prophecy. Prophecy is simply a tool to encourage, uplift, and comfort somebody. We're simply saying out loud what heaven is seeing. What heaven is seeing, we're calling forth by saying it. It's the same thing with healing. We're stepping into what God's will really is. So I'm like, well, let's pray, man. So all of a sudden, I pray for this guy, lay hands on his shoulder, pop. The thing goes back into place. The thing straightens out. The clavicle realigns, and the guy has no more pain. In an instant, on the back of an ambulance, by myself with he and me, goes to the hospital, absolutely confirmed. Nothing was wrong. There was no fracture. Was back to work the next day. If you saw what I saw, like my partner couldn't even be with me because broken arms messed with him and it made him sick. This is what we're seeing. And now all of a sudden, God does it in an instant. So many stories, story after story after story. Listen, God is a God of miracles. God wants to heal. God wants to deliver. God wants people to be whole and set free. He was broken so that we and everybody around us could be whole. It's so easy. We say yes to Jesus and all of salvation is opened up to us. It is not this hard thing. We're only partnering with heaven. So this is what's, what's happening. And, and it's because God is so compassionate and he's so good. He's such a good father. He wants things to be made well. He wants your restoration in your life and your relationships. Even if you're not going to remarry that person that was a divorce, he wants reconciliation. We have this beautiful story with Linda and Jay and Kent who passed away. Like it was amazing. Kent came in here about six years ago or so now. And Kent, since he, he passed away. And, but here's the thing. Amy, um, and, and you may not know these names. It doesn't matter. Amy, my sister-in-law, said, hey, hey, mom, Linda is, is Amy's mom. Mom, is it okay if I invite Kent, her dad, Linda's ex-husband, to church to see Judah's children's program? Yeah, absolutely. He's never going to come, but sure, invite him. Yeah, it's fine. Invites him, he shows up, he never missed a single Sunday except once to visit his son in South Carolina for five years. Not only that, they all sat in the same row and Jay and Kent were friends. They did projects together here. That's reconciliation. Now, Linda's madly in love with Jay, all right, but could still be friends with Kent and now had restoration in everything. Why? Because that's the goodness of God. It's not just for healing. It's not just for disease or pain or salvation. Like, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, and he wants to be good. Let me, let me just remind you of some verses. Psalms 87, 11. It says this. It says, it says, God withholds nothing for those who seek him or seek righteousness. He withholds nothing. If we go to Psalm 34, 7, he talks about, delight yourself in the Lord, and God will honor the desires of your heart. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it goes on to say that God will do far abundantly, exceedingly more than you could ask, think, or imagine. And then verse 22 says, for the glory of God for generations, yes and amen. It's an amen at the end of that verse. It's like God wants to do way more, and, and he is moving ahead of you. If, you. if you remember, it says he was going through the Sea of Galilee, and they were going. People were chasing after them. Listen, God is always going before you. We don't have to chase him to earn something. They just wanted to be with him. 
God's always going before you. He's going ahead of you in that situation. He's going ahead of you in that circumstance. He's going ahead of you in those finances. He is working on your behalf. Why? Because he says greater works you'll do than he did because he's interceding on your behalf, sitting next to the Father. You have the greatest intercessor on the planet going on your behalf to the Father. Wow. Who desires good things for his children. Oh, man. It's good stuff. Let me, let me just, just, I'm going to go there. Oh, I have so much more. Just kidding. Let me just, I feel like I need to, in this atmosphere right now, paint a picture of a good God. I want to tell you about the story of Job. Okay, and I'm going to paraphrase. If you want to read about this, the first couple chapters of Job is the context I'm coming from. Job, Job was this man where, where basically he had everything. He was a very rich, wealthy man, had a great family, had health, had business, all these things. And the, and the enemy basically wants to steal everything from Job, all right, and said basically the only reason he's praising you is because he has everything. So, so now there's three theories on this, on this proposition, all right? First off, this story is a beautiful story of restoration. It's a beautiful story of what God can do. You know what I focus on? What God can do rather than what he's not doing? I can't answer why we had a young man die at work this week. One of our firefighters in Troy, 38 years old, healthy. I referred to him as a door kicker, just a strong, remind me of Michael a little bit, just a strong, big farm kid, amazing man, thankfully a believer, good family man, good dad. And, and he passed, I can't explain that, but I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on what God can do what he is doing through this process. What the enemy means for destruction, Genesis 50, 20 says, God will use for good. So we come to Job, and and there's three theories on this, and and I came out with what is the third, but I've heard other people preach on it. I'm not saying I need credit for it. What I'm saying is there's a philosophy that first off, the devil took it. The devil took everything away. It was the devil, right? So let, let me rephrase that. It was God... Who, who, who did that to Job, right? Or, or there's, I guess there's four. It's, it's God that took that all away. And we blame God. We like to blame God for all things. We even have a clause in insurance companies called the act of God if it's natural disaster. It's not God. For Pete's sakes, he didn't bring Katrina to wash out New Orleans to cleanse it. He's not an angry God waiting to judge. He's a loving God. Things just happen. So then there's this theory that the enemy had to ask for permission from God. Okay, and then God gave permission. So there's these two things. We blame God first, or we say, well, God allowed it to happen. Well, let me bring you to a context in the scripture, somewhere the end of chapter one, and it says the enemy, the devil and God are having this exchange of words. And God says this one phrase that develops my philosophy on this. Have you considered my servant Job? That's what he asked the devil. So the devil's saying, listen, he's only praising you because, because of this. What if I take it all away? Will he still praise you? And God simply asked this question. Have you considered my, my servant Job? Now, here, here's what I think in the context of, of, of portraying what a good father is, a good God. Here's what I think he's saying there. Here's my personal opinion is, is have you considered who you're messing with? Devil, have you thought that you're about to get a butt whooping? Like, I'm trying to warn you right now, because have you considered my son? Have you considered my servant, Job? Because you're about to get a royal beating. 
So he was simply setting Job up for success to know what was already going to happen. Why? Because he's going ahead of him. He's going before him, and he already knew the outcome. He's trying to have a little sympathy on the devil saying, you're about to get beat up so bad. I love watching this. I love seeing you get a black eye, but man, come on, just go back to the hole you came from. Like, that's what I really think is happening here. Like, God is a good God. He didn't set Job up for failure. He set him up for success. He didn't allow the enemy to happen. He allowed Job to kick his butt. He didn't allow the enemy to steal something. He allowed Job to whoop his butt. That's, that's how good our God is. So, so we get to this, to this other story of when he feeds 4,000. But let me interject this story here. We were, we were at Dominican Republic. Kendra, Destiny, Nicole, and I, and Matt and Amy went to Dominican Republic a few years ago, roughly six years ago. And actually, I think it was six years ago to the date because something popped up on my Facebook. So, so we're there, and now we split off into two different teams. Matt and Amy went with a team right on the border of Haiti. We went elsewhere, and we didn't see each other the whole week. We come back together, and we hear this radical story that happened. And they were doing a vacation Bible school for three days. The city was so excited. The village they were in was so excited that they were doing this. They threw a parade for the team. All right. Then the mayor came, and they had this big exploitation of media and all these things. Well, they went to the store, and if you've ever been, let me just tell you, Dominican Republic off the resort path is really bad. It is like a third world country. It's some of the poorest places I've ever seen in my life. Now, if you just take your bus to your little resort, and you, you have your, you know, your drinks, and everything's fun, and the sea is beautiful, and snorkeling is awesome, cool. However, there is a spot in Dominican Republic off of those paths that's really bad. And when you go into places like this, if you don't have enough for everybody, it literally can become a mob mentality. So they go to the store, and they're doing this vacation Bible school, and they, they had enough money to buy snacks and drinks for 200 kids. So they buy 200 of everything. So then here's what happened. They, they, they go, and since all this media and everything happened, they had almost four to 500 kids show up to this vacation Bible school. They had to end up changing location. They used the stadium and also a gymnasium, all right? So then they get to snack time, and we're like, they're stressing out. They're like, what are we going to do? So they begin to pray that the food will be multiplied. This is modern day. People from upper room witnesses. They were there. All of a sudden, the little juggies and the snacks of 200 began to feed every single kid that came through that line. All four to 500 of them. They look back. And it's as if the pile never disappeared. The next day, they were able to do the same thing. And the third day, they were able to feed the four to 500 kids again from 200 that were purchased. Tell me that God isn't a God of miracles still today. This isn't a story I read about in the Bible. It's a story that people were there from here and witnessed it. God is so good. Every kid got their needs met in a natural way so that they could encounter a supernatural God. Let, let, me, let me finish here. We're going to go to Matthew 15, 29 through 39. And, and let me just, I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. So basically, here's, here's Jesus. He's trying to get away again. <laughs> it says he's trying to go up to the mountain. He's trying to, he, he goes across the sea, and then the multitudes came again. And it says he was moved with compassion when he sees the multitudes. So he began to heal them. He, the lame began to walk. The mute began to speak. The blind began to see. You know, it goes through some of these things. I'm paraphrasing. And then all of a sudden, we get to verse 32, and it's talking about, oh, wait. Now, now, now granted, in some of the Gospels, this was only a chapter later from the 5,000, and the disciples are saying, what are we going to do, Jesus? The people are hungry. Like sometimes these teenagers called the disciples, you just want to like, hello, 
Is anybody home? Just a month ago, he just fed 5,000 with five loaves from a little kid. You don't think he can do it again? So, so here we come. They're like, what do you have between you? And, and basically, here's what they had. They had seven loaves and a few fish between them. And it says that they fed 4,000 people plus women and children. Now, now, here's the thing about miracles. They grab people's attention to open up a bigger spiritual realm, realm to, to reveal a really good father. If we remember back to the last context, it was the last line. And it says, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So, so here, all of a sudden, this miracle, this, this creative miracle to multiply food, all of a sudden opened up the natural realm to open up a supernatural realm that says to 5,000 people and 4,000 people, this isn't just a good teacher. He's not just a good prophet. He is Messiah that was prophesied about to come into the world. Listen, I've seen people get, get a headache healed or get a toe healed, and all of a sudden, their revelation of the Father just opens up that, wow, he really cares about me. He's a real God that just took that pain away. Yep. I've seen more radical things. <laughs> Here's the thing. The scoliosis being healed is no different than the migraine being healed. There is no miracle greater than another. They're, they're all miracles. It didn't require a doctor. It didn't require medicine. It didn't require intervention of a man. It required Jesus just to love on his sons and daughters. That's the heart of the supernatural. That's the heart of his spirit. That's the heart of the miracles. It opens up this realm. It's so good. So then we get to this place to say, wow, just some food at a picnic allowed me to now understand he is Messiah. Let, let me just go through some numbers here. As I, as I actually do close. Final closing, I promise. Five loaves, two fish, feed 5,000. Seven loaves and a few, maybe three fish, feed 4,000. So there's 9,000 people fed. Now, I love understanding numbers and understanding like, what, why this? Why how much? Why is it 5,000? Why wasn't it 6,000? Did we miss a few? Whatever. But for me, it's like, I think God's always putting numbers in the Bible not because he needs them, just because it's fun. Who counted the 120 people in the upper room? Who counted the 5,000? That means they took attendance, like, <laughs> right? I don't think he needs numbers. He doesn't need numbers here. He picked 12 to turn a whole world upside down. But anyway, I think it's fun. So Nicole has this big prophetic dictionary. And I go in it, and I'm like, all right, what's nine mean? What's 9,000 mean? What's seven mean? What's 12? What's, all right, seven plus five is 12. Wow, it's 12 again, and the leftover baskets were 12. And I'm connecting these numbers. I'm like, if you ever see me at work, I love numbers, and sometimes I just go on the board, and I'm like mad scientist, just doing these numbers. So these numbers just start popping out to me. So the number nine means gestation, reproduction, mature development. A thousand means multiplication, fullness, and the multitudes, all right? Five and seven equal 12, and 12 is the divine government, the apostolic rule, and the delegated authority and power of God. I'll, I'll build it at the end here. All right? Then five is the operative grace and hand, five fingers, hand of God. It's the grace and the hand of God. All right? Then we get to 12 plus seven is 19, 19 leftover baskets. Seven is divine revolution and cycles, creator dominance, world impact, and sovereignty and absoluteness. Then we get to two, because he did it twice, and there was also two fish in the one story. And he did this, these multiplication of food twice. Twice is the number of covenant, unity, and marriage. All that to say, I believe it means this. Those numbers are significant 
to say that he is given all divine order and authority and apostolic, the government of heaven, into your hands to be the grace of God, to bring, to marry heaven to earth, to bring this marriage to heaven to earth, to connect it as one, that we just don't hear about miracles in the Bible, that we just don't dream of it being a place of a destination one day where there won't be illness, but literally to marry it with divine order and his government as his ambassadors, you're his ambassador. So in a divine government, you're his ambassadors. He's delegated all authority in an apostolic government to you to be the grace in the hands of God to bring and bridge heaven to earth as one. That's what I feel those numbers mean. And all the prophetic people in here in intercessory are like, that's amazing. So good. It is good. Stay with me. Here's what I want to do. We've went after some healing. Nicole already did a blanket thing. And because of time, your circumstances, your trials, your issues don't determine the integrity and goodness of God. Let me remind you, he's always good. He's always good. And he's always going ahead of you. He's always going on your behalf. And he's a really, really good father. And, and if you don't know him today, at the end, I'll be here. If you don't know a good father, if you don't know him as Messiah, maybe you just know him as teacher or prophet. If you don't know him as Messiah or Lord and Savior or good father or friend, I want to introduce you to the real God. I really do. What I'd love to do is I'd love to pray for your hands. I'd love to pray for your hands, so just hold them out. Just hold them like, like this, like you're receiving a gift. In Mark 16, in Matthew 28, Jesus is talking about the Great Commission. He's telling us to go into all the nations, baptize everybody in his name. In Mark 16, he, he tells us and he gives us authority to cast out demons. If we handle a serpent or a snake or, or something, it's not going to hurt us. He also has this, this thing in there that says, lay hands on the sick and they what? Will recover. Like that is the Father's heart. That is God's will, that they actually do recover. Now, do they all recover? I, no, I can't explain that. I can't explain why, why Jason passed away this week. I can't explain that, but I can explain he's a really good God. And I can explain that he's probably gonna do something really amazing through this. So these hands in Mark 16, one of Jesus's last statements should be probably one of our top priorities, that they actually lay hands on the sick and they recover. It may not look like somebody in a wheelchair. It may. That's really obvious. Or, or, or crutches. It may look that you may go to lunch after service today and your server, maybe you just can feel or sense that she's down or he's down. You know, maybe it's, it's just praying for them, blessing them, thanking them, giving them encouragement. That's, that's the picnic around you. Maybe it's a coworker tomorrow. Like the picnic around you might be your classroom coming up and as, as school restarts in August. Like that's your picnic. That's, that's the multitudes around you. And as we're moved with compassion, these hands can actually reveal the Father's heart. These hands can actually lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And it might be from sight. It might be from disease. It might be from depression. It might be from oppression. It might be from a financial situation. But, but there's a picnic around this and God needs us to be moved with compassion to bring his good works forward. Like, and I'm going to pray for your hands that they will represent the Christ who's actually in you and that they become the conduit and the vessels of which God's created you for. His very nature, 965 titles of God in the Bible. 965 different natures of who He is and only one of them's a judge. (laughs) 
I, I did the math. And if I would preach a message once a week for 965 weeks of one nature per week per God, I think it was like 18 years or something. It was 10 or 18 years. I can't remember right now, but either way, I was like, man, I could probably do that in a year. And I did the math. I was like, 965 divided by 52. I was thinking 365 days. It's 52 days. So it's like 18.36 years, I think, if I remember right. That's the nature of God. And each one is special and unique. That's, that's what he's wanting to release to the world around you. That's what he's wanting to release to the picnic. Not just the healing, not just, just salvation, but abundant life. It's the enemy, John 10, 10, it's the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. So put your hands out again after that really long closing. God, I pray for the hands right now. I pray for the hands that they will touch people and they will recover, that they will touch people, that, that your heart will flow through the hands of the people in this place, flow through our mouths, flow through our bodies. There'll be an overflow where we just leak out on the people around us. God, I pray for the hands right now that they will cast out demons, that they will, that they will let the oppressed go free, that they will set the captives free through you, Jesus that you're the only median, you're the only way to the Father. But I pray that these hands will be a conduit and a vessel and a temple for you, Jesus. I pray that as your, as your promises are yes and amen, they will lay hands on sick or down and outers or people that just need a touch from you and they will be made whole, they will be made well. I pray that we will actually step out of the boat and walk on the water that you've sent us to, to cast, to, 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 to reveal your nature, to reveal your goodness, to reveal your love and your power. God, let us not just stop at the things we're comfortable. Press us into an uncomfortable place. In Jesus' name, I thank you for the hands. In Jesus' name, I thank you for the hands, the feet, and the mouthpieces for you, Lord, today.